Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest. We have an amazing show. This is part three of my conversation with Russell Gray, co-host of the Real Estate Guys radio program. If you've not heard part one or part two, you probably want to go back over the last couple of weeks and listen to part one and part two first. On today's show, we're talking about counterparty risk and in particular, how to hedge against the inflation that is sure to be upon us in the near future. We're talking about the fragility of the financial system and how gold and precious metals can play a role in providing an effective hedge against inflation. Let's pick up my conversation with Russell Gray. So talk a little bit about counterparty risk, because this is one of these things that I think is very poorly understood by most people, the cascade effect, the domino effect that we saw certainly post 2008. But I don't think a lot of people truly understand how that counterparty risk in today's environment is going to play out. You know, you've got Federal Reserve saying that the banks are sitting on 1.8 trillion of reserves. They're all healthy. And okay, maybe some bondholders will lose some money, but the banks will be fine. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, the banks may be fine because the Fed's got their back. I mean, that's their job, right? right. Save the banking system. Uh, the question is, is at what price? Where does the Fed get its money? The Fed prints it. Well, what gives the money its value? The production of the people who earn dollars, the labor, the laborer. And so, you know, it's John Maynard Keynes' famous quote that through inflation, a government can surreptitiously, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but secretly steal the wealth of their citizens and not one man in a million can diagnose it. And, and that's exactly what happens. So, you know, I'm not saying they can save the banks, but I, I'm saying they're going to sacrifice the dollar. I think they're demonstrating they will sacrifice the dollar on the altar of trying to, to save the banks. But the big issue for every investor should be counterparty risk. When you buy your stocks and you hold them at your brokerage account, you don't actually own those stocks. Your broker uh, owns them and owes them to you. And so you have counterparty risk. If the broker fails for whatever reason, and there's maybe some level of insurance and whatever, but you, you're a counterparty. And if there's failure on the counterparty, the person who owes you something, your asset is only as good as that person's ability to pay you. When you deposit your money in a bank, uh, you become, at least in the United States, an unsecured creditor of that bank. So they owe you the money. And right now, with this latest set of stimulus, they basically, the Federal Reserve came out and told all member banks, you don't, you know, that little, you know, small, like 10% reserve you have? Well, you don't even have to have that. You don't have to have, in fact, you don't have to have a penny of reserves. You can take 100% of your deposits and go lend them out uh, to try to stimulate the economy. And don't worry, we got your back, which means what? We'll just print whatever we have to print. And clearly, they're doing that. But the point is, is you're only... In, in the United States, you're only guaranteed through the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, up to $250,000. It used to be $100,000, but then to make everybody feel safer putting more money in the bank, they increased it to two fifty dollars after the financial crisis in 2008, and they never decreased it. So anyway, after that, this was written into the Dodd-Frank legislation, and it was kind of, it was like one of those ticking time bobs. They put it in there and then it doesn't actually happen. It didn't happen until February of 2014 or January of 2014. So in January 2014, it went live, which basically gave the banks the ability to stiff you. They could take your savings in excess of 250000 to settle their debts if they fail. So bank failure is a big deal. It's really a big deal. And, you know, they're backed up by the FDIC, which, you know, if you look at its assets versus its liabilities, it's effectively insolvent. Well, who backstops them? The Treasury 
well, Treasury doesn't have any money. Apple Computer has more cash than the Treasury. Well, maybe the Treasury has more cash right now because they just did a big bond issuance, but it won't last because they're going to mail it all out. So who, who backstops the Treasury? Well, we know it's the Fed because who bought the bonds? The Fed. That's who's buying the bonds right now. So the Fed is basically monetizing the debt. And that, that's like a snake eating its own tail. I mean, at some point, right? So counterparty risk should be a concern. You want to be the counterparty. I don't want to be the, the lender. I want to be the borrower unless I'm lending against a piece of collateral that I would gladly take in default. So would I go make a private money loan today at seven or eight or nine percent on a property with 40% protective equity, I probably would, because I would be happy to take that property at 40% off. And if I don't get the property, I'm going to get a nice yield. And especially if I have A credit and I've got equity and I can go borrow money at three or 4% on a property and half my proceeds, let's say I go borrow uh, 200,000 and I borrow it at 4%. And then I, I lend out 100000 at 8%. I earn enough cash flow on my 100000 to pay for the whole 200000 And I got this extra $100,000 free and clear. I can park it in cash outside the bank if I want to. I can park it in gold outside the bank, no counterparty risk. I can pivot into any currency I want to from precious metals. I can, I can trade that to Canadian dollars, Australian dollars. I can go into... Uh, Yuan, whatever the currency du jour is, I can pick whichever one I want. It gives me a base and I don't have to worry about a bank performing or not performing. I don't have to worry about insurance. I don't have to worry about a blackout. You know, if I got Bitcoin, I know I'm probably going to make some more enemies, but you know, if we have a power adage, an EMF event, if this would have been an EMF and not a coronavirus, how good's your Bitcoin? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just not until they get the power back online, right? So I think there's just something to be said for good old fashioned real assets, food in your pantry, gold in your safe, a little bit of currency outside the banking system, the ability to pivot into whatever currency. Uh, that's the center of what I call the real asset investing portfolio model. It's not a pie chart, it's a rings of risk. And at the center ring should be a lot of liquidity in things that are completely sands of counterparty risk and give you the ability to pivot into whatever commodity or currency is the hot one at the moment. Obviously, I think precious metals have a role to play in that. So you're saying hold the metal, don't even hold uh, gold ETFs, don't hold gold certificates, hold the actual metal. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you know, I mean, a lot of people are fans of having physical metal, you know, offshore in a different jurisdiction, but you get a travel lockdown like this, what good is it? Right. So I, I'm not even so much a fan of that. So right now we've got silver trading at historic highs, I think 110 times gold. Well, historic lows relative to gold, high, high gold silver ratio. Absolutely. Right. So maybe is that a better strategy? It's more fungible. It's easier to go spend silver at the grocery store than an ounce of gold. Yeah, I love silver. I, I love silver. Uh, you pay a big premium for it right now. There's already been a big disconnect. It always had a healthier premium than gold anyway. For people who aren't familiar, gold is the ultimate monetary metal. Central banks have been stocking up on it. They have been purchasing it pretty much in earnest. In fact, 2019, they purchased more gold, central banks did. When you think about who central banks are, uh, when you think about insider trading, when it comes to currency fiat money, you don't get any more inside than central banks. And what are they doing? They're buying gold. That's a clue. So anyway, so they, so they bought a bunch of gold. 
But for the man in the street, you know, especially with gold now at the street price, getting close to a couple thousand dollars an ounce in, in the US can be a little rich. And when we talk about fungibility, it's, you know, pretty hard to go to, hey, can you break a, can you break an ounce of gold? Not easily, right? So silver gives you that opportunity. But the, the big thing is either you have to look at that gold to silver ratio and just, just understand what that is, is if you have uh, an ounce of silver and an ounce of gold, if you wanted to buy an ounce of gold with silver, right now you would have to have 110 ounces of gold, I'm mean, silver, silver yeah. to buy one ounce of gold. To give you an idea, the, the ratio at which they come out of the ground is about nine to one. For most of human history, the ratio has been about 15 to 1. Even coming out of the financial crisis, the ratio was 55, 60 to 1. It got as high as 125 to 1. It's only ever, it, it, that was a new record. The only time it's been at where it's at right now is like three or four times at all ever in history. And every single time it came down. So the question you have to ask yourself as you're looking at silver today, if you're thinking of it in currency terms, and I encourage you, don't think of it that way. But if you are, you have to ask yourself, do I think that gold is overvalued substantially or do I think silver is undervalued substantially? And I you know, won't get into all the details, but I think that if you talk to just about anybody that knows precious metals, they're going to tell you silver is undervalued substantially for the same reason that oil is. Right. And it's not because there's a glut it's because it's an industrial metal. It goes into your cell phones. It goes into solar panels. And uh, a lot of it gets mined as a byproduct of mining for other things that go into construction and, and different things. And so production is coming down. On top of that, miners can't produce at these price points, even with the inexpensive energy. And so silver production, big silver production is coming offline. If you were prone to use silver as a trading vehicle, in other words, you want to exchange currency for money, which is silver, and then later exchange it back into currency that you can spend, silver might be something you'd want to be taking a look at right now. With that said, I don't look at precious metals as a trading vehicle. I look at them as the end game. So the whole point is to develop savings. We think we don't want to save because we get no yield on our savings. We think we don't want to save because cash is trash and they're devaluing it. And those things are true. And yet when things like what's happening and what's coming occur, cash is king. Liquidity is king. And I just think that for the long-term store of liquid wealth, it's hard to beat precious metals. And you go out and you invest and, you know, I have a little formula that I use as I do whatever I do, my little base just keeps growing. And so I do other things, but then when I make profit, a piece of it goes in. It's just no different. If I, you know, you start with a very simple thing that most of us probably taught when we we're kids, go to work, earn money, pay your bills, pay your taxes, and then save at least 10%, maybe 20%. Okay. Well, if you do that, except instead of putting your money in a bank with taking counterparty risk and currency risk you were to just take and place it in metal and just continue to build that pile up. If you ever did need money, you can borrow against it the same way you would equity. And it's transportable. It's highly private. There's no counterparty risk. You can pivot into any currency you want. There's always a bid. So there's, it never, ever goes no bid, ever, because the central banks are buying it. 
So that's my 27 and a half cents on all that. <laughs> I love that. Let's okay. So you talked a little bit about what to do on the on the metal side. I mean, that is one of the quintessential questions at the moment. Is uh, investors are looking at the state of the market. They clearly don't want to be holding uh, ETFs on the Dow. So the question is, what to do? So we know a bunch of things not to do. What what to do? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think my game plan is pretty simple. You know, if you have access to equity, convert it into metal. Use arbitrage, meaning take advantage of, especially if you're in the real estate business, it's easy for you. Because for the most part, it's it's mysterious to people who live in the paper asset world on how you get high yields. Real estate investors have no problem getting high yields, right? It's easy. It's super easy because there's all kinds of real estate investors out there or non-qualified buyers that have good documentable income or whatever they have job, you know, and I, I get it's harder today, but you know, you're making a much better investment in making a private note against a decent piece of property in a decent area with some protective equity to a borrower that you can personally underwrite and collateral you would happily take compared to putting money in a CD and getting next to nothing. Right. Right. So it's a no brainer. So right now they're giving money away for free. Take it. You still have equity in your property. Take it, convert it into gold. Don't go spread your equity thin. Don't double down into real estate right now. <clears throat> I'm not saying, I mean, if you find a deal at pencils, buy it. I mean, there's no reason not to because you know, you're not buying the real estate for what it's going to be worth next year or the year after. You're buying it for what it's going to do for you over the next 20 years and what it'll be worth in 20 years. So unless you think that what's going on right now is the absolute ice age and it's the end of economics or the economy. It's the end of humanity and commerce as we know it. It's the end of private property rights. It's just the end. Then you know you need to be thinking about the long game. You do what you need to do to prosper in the short term. And the first thing you do is you want to sequester all of the wealth you've already built. If you don't have a great estate plan in place or asset protection plan, get that in place. Because you know at least here in the United States, I'm banking on there's going to be frivolous lawsuits from anybody that appears to have deep pockets. Get your equity out of the property while you can. Lock in your long-term financing as long as you can. Borrow long and cheap to loan short and high. And then take the excess liquidity, park some of it in gold, park some of it in currency, and then wait for your moments because there are going to be a lot of problems. People caught in this downdraft are going to need to sell high-quality assets in good markets, not because they want to, because they have to. And you might think, well, I don't want to be a vulture. Well, if they put it up for sale, you're not the vulture. They have a need and you're helping them. So you're not inflicting pain. The pain already exists. You're relieving them of a problem. They're trying to get liquid. If you have liquidity, your liquidity, which is your problem, becomes their answer and their illiquidity. And they're needing to unload an asset, a quality asset at a decent price. That becomes your opportunity. And I think there's just going to be a lot of that out there. So it's not complicated. So there's a question that came in, and I know you talk with uh, Brian London, who um, is the editor of the Gold Newsletter and the chair of the New Orleans Investment Conference. Why did gold briefly crash when coronavirus hit? And I, I know that's something you talk with both uh, Brian and Dana about recently. Yeah, well, because what happened is you had margin calls. What I just got done saying right? Everybody grabs whatever they can. I mean, here's, here's the way the financial system works. So you understand the biggest market by far, I mean, not counting the currency market because everything trades in currency. So that that's the biggest, but the bond market is by far the biggest. I mean, it dwarfs the stock market. It's huge, gigantic. 
Okay. So the bond market and the way that people play the game in the bond market, you probably ask yourself, why would anybody buy a negative yielding bond? Well, they're speculating on the bond price, meaning they're hoping that the, the yield will go even more negative because the value of the bond, just like an apartment building is inverse the yield, right? If the yield is low, the price is high. If the yield is high, the price is low. It's They're inverse. And so when people are piling into bonds, or when the Fed says, hey, we're going to buy bonds and we're going to push interest rates down no matter what it takes, then the whole world decides, hey, I'm going to front run the central banks. I'm going to go buy bonds because I know they will bid stupid prices because they don't care. They're printing the money out of thin air. And so I'm going to go buy the bond. I'm going to front run the Fed and I'm going to speculate on that. All right. But I'm only going to make a little bit. I want to make a lot. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy that bond with borrowed money. And in, our, in order to borrow the money, I'm going to take some bonds I already own and I'm going to pledge them. So when I have a bond on my balance sheet that I'm holding because I bought it from a borrower, whether it's a municipality, the US government, a mortgage pool, whatever it is, I am holding an asset on my balance sheet with counterparty risk, by the way because it's simultaneously somebody's liability. So now I've got my asset that is somebody else's liability. They owe me and I pledge my asset to Victor on margin. He gives me money and now he's holding it on his balance sheet as an asset. I'm holding it on my balance sheet as an asset with an offsetting liability, but it's still an asset. And then Victor does the same thing and somebody else does the same thing and somebody else does the same thing. Now, all of these balance sheets are daisy chained together, margined so that that little tiny yield I'm going to get is going to get magnified, right? We all know if we go buy a, a house at 20% down, we own one piece of house equity. We own five, part, I'm sorry, five, part, five parts of house for one part of equity and four parts of loan, right? That's what a 20% loan is, right? And we know that if the property goes up 5%, goes up $5,000. But if I put 20% down, then I get 5,000 on 20, which means I get my 20, 25% because I get these other five too, right? So we all understand five to one leverage. Well, these guys go in and buy these bonds at 20 to one or sometimes 100 to one leverage. So they get a little tiny few basis points profit on the trade, but they magnify it through 100 to one leverage and they get a double digit yield. And that's great, right? It's not infinite return, but it's close. But they are highly exposed to the reverse. If the market moves against them, now they get a margin call because like in real estate, we're so spoiled. We have it so good. We get an 80% loan or 90% loan on a piece of property. The property drops in value by 20%. We don't get a margin call. We're upside down. We have no equity. But as long as we keep chugging out those payments, we're fine. As long as the rent doesn't drop that much, we're going to be fine. So we just hold on until the price comes back. We really don't care. But if that happens the way these guys play the game in the bond market, they get a margin call. When that margin call comes, if you've ever traded stocks on margin, you know what that's like. It's Mr. Gray. Uh, the uh, account value has dropped to this certain point. Therefore, you need to either post X amount of cash or we need to sell these securities at a low price because obviously I got the margin call because the price just dropped. I was like, well, oh my gosh, I don't want to take the hit. I don't want to realize the loss. So I'm going to go look around. Can I borrow more money? 
And if the credit markets are starting to seize up because everybody's in the same boat, I can't borrow money, then the only other thing I can do is start to sell assets. I can't sell the same assets everybody else is selling because those are all in the toilet. So what do I have to sell? The good stuff, okay? What's been the good stuff? What has outperformed the S&P year to date? Gold. So of course people sold gold to raise cash. And of course, as soon as they could, they went back and tried to get into it. Some of them borrowed against it because it's great collateral. And so, yeah, so some of that, some of that happens. But again, I don't care because I'm not using gold as a trading vehicle to produce dollars. It's the end game. Some people go from cash to gold to cash and go, woohoo, and they end up with a pile of cash. I don't want cash. I'd rather go from cash to gold or I'd rather go from cash to real estate, to cash flow, to gold, just build, 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 build. And then when I want a down payment on a piece of property, I can take my cash flow from my property A, pledge it against my gold to get the down payment for property B, right? It's the same game you play when you do it with, against houses, but you, you can separate. What real estate investors don't understand is the value of keeping their real estate equity liquid. I don't have to apply for a loan to convert gold into cash without relinquishing the upside. I have to do that with real estate. I have to qualify. Whereas lenders are very picky about lending against real estate. They're very not picky about lending against gold. It's just a much, much, much better way to keep your equity. If you don't get anything else out of today, get that. I love that. I love that. All right. So Boy, we've covered a lot of territory. Let's talk a little bit about how do the rules change if we happen to get into a hyperinflation environment? I mean, hyperinflation has the effect of wiping out purchasing power for those who are on fixed income, has the effect of wiping out savings, and correspondingly has the effect of wiping out debt because you're devaluing the currency on, on all fronts. So if that's the game and the rules have changed, but everyone else is still playing the, playing the old rules, saying, get a good job, save money, put it in your bank account, put it in your RRSP and so on. How do you win in that new game? How have the rules changed? Um, the rules haven't changed. The same game it's always been. The reason nobody knows it is because the powers that be have a vested interest in keeping you highly ignorant of it. Do exactly what you said. But when you say the word savings, replace in your mind's eye money in the bank with gold in your safe. And now tell me the story. Well, that, folks, was part three of my conversation with Russell Gray, co-host of the Real Estate Guys radio show. He's a financial strategist, one of the smartest guys I know. If you haven't tuned into the Real Estate Guys radio show, you definitely want to check them out. They are at realestateguysradio.com. That's realestateguysradio.com. The Real Estate Guys radio show has been on the air now in its 24th year, and it's no surprise that they have a massive global following. And after listening to Russ today, it's easy to see why. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.